0: In here, and we all know it. Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is it, week two, week three of our Corona Pirates? We've decided to call it Corona Pirates, because it's easier to explain to your four and six-year-old grandkids that virus is a little ominous sounding, so we're going with Corona Pirates. But I'm joined now by my wife, Jan, and honey, we've been together in the house now. We're in New York. We're safe. We're staying in, social distancing, doing everything that we're supposed to. We feel good. We have the kids all day. And yesterday, you got me doing something that I've never done before, and that was color your hair. Yes, and, I did. And uh, first of all, how'd I do?
1: You did great. You did great. He, he had a little trouble with the rat tail comb and getting everything split to get right to the uh, the roots, but uh, you figured it out. Yeah, normally got you it. go
0: to a salon for this yeah. and you've got a very experienced young man here in New York and a young woman in Patrick Florida. Patrick, it's
1: Patrick at, at Static Salons in White Plains. Yeah, That's right. and Don... Well, Don's in Florida and Zed is in Portland. Okay, so you've got on. them
0: all over. you've got you're, <laughs> you're like you're like collecting these things everywhere, but we went because of the shutdown for the Corona pirates. we had to go pick it up in White Plains and explain how that went oh, for I the will. call. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I got an email from Patrick and he said, now this is what you have to do. Call the office 10 minutes before you're gonna arrive. And then we'll run it down the stairs. So when you come in, you open the door and you walk in and your product will be in a bag with your name on it <laughs> on the table at the bottom of the stairs. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm doing some kind of illegal pickup of something. Drug I, don't transfer. Know, I don't know what, but it was very funny. But they, it was so cute. They, it was very sweet. They had everything in there ready to mix up. They had a comb. They had a little uh, bottle of water that they always give us in the salon. And they had little Hershey's Kisses. Which I went to you because you were my salon, my hairdresser. And when I started...
0: rewarded. I had no idea what I was doing and you were telling me that rat tail, <laughs> which is the end of the, of the comb, and I, I think I did okay. I'll probably be better yes, the so second time around. Yes, and two weeks from
1: now we'll do it again. And
0: if the Corona Pirates last any longer, uh, I'll become a professional. I might open my own yeah. salon. Yeah. But we're up here in New York in Westchester. We go to the store... Every five, six days, we restock, and it's really interesting. Everybody's wearing a mask now. That's kind of the recommended thing to do, and social distancing. At the uh, local supermarket here in Armonk, we go to a store called De Chico's, and it's great, and you have to line up because they do a wonderful job. They don't let too many people in the store because they want to keep everybody six to ten feet apart. But you wait in line until somebody comes out, then you go in. And the only thing that bugs me is when I'm when I'm in the store and I've got my cart and everybody's kind of trying to avoid each other, I just would love to see more smiles. I know everybody's stressed and people handle this differently. But sometimes when you're going down the meat and cheese aisle at the supermarket, and somebody sees you coming at them, their eyes wide open, and they, they get a horrified look on your face like you're some inmate in cell block D in the prison coming at them with a shiv, and they basically move out of the way. I always try to say hello and smile and, and be friendly, but everybody handles this differently, and you seem to be handling this. You're very, you're very calm, and you're kind of accepting.
1: Well, we've also been very busy. We don't have a lot of time to think about Anything else? We we are up in New York to babysit our two grandchildren, and both of our our daughter and son in law are doctors. And they're our son in law is now working mostly from home, but he's he's doing the online like. Patient visits. Our daughter still sees patients and has actually had to do stroke call. She was on last weekend and she'll do it again I think this coming weekend at White Plains Hospital. So we've got the kids during the day for about maybe five to six hours. Because their schools are closed. Because uh, yes the uh, school is closed for our kindergartner and they haven't set up the daycare for like essential workers wasn't quite set up and we decided to come up anyway and just keep the kids out of school and out of daycare. So we have them. So I have to be honest. It's a busy, busy day, and by the time they leave here, we watch a little Netflix or something, and I take a bath, and I am out and go to sleep till they arrive the next morning. So, we'll be up here now for quite a while. We will be doing this. Uh, I don't even know when this na- uh, Nana Papa daycare will end.
0: <laughs> What's really interesting, and I know everybody that's listening that's that's in the house with family, and it's it's a frustrating time because we're all used to getting out and doing our work outside the house and if you work outside the house and going to play golf and going to do everything that that i like to do and i'm sure you miss doing as well but the time that we have to spend with our family i think i think it's great we're really connecting with our two grandkids up here we don't really get to see them more than a week or maybe two weeks straight at any one time so it looks like we may be up here four to six weeks and that's precious time to be able to spend with our, with our grandkids. I miss the two boys out in Portland, but we're here and I feel like we're doing our part so mom and dad can continue to work.
1: That's for sure.
0: It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up and making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here. Jungle. I need to congratulate you and Marilyn, your wife Marilyn, on becoming grandparents for the very first time. Your daughter Rachel just had a little girl, Callie, I think about a week ago. Uh so congrats, uh grandpa. How's it feel?
2: <laughs> you know, when you have children of your own, it 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 is a, it, it's an it's an amazing. When your children have children, you're you're absolutely stunned. I mean, take Take it all and multiply it at least it was for me, because it it takes you full circle i mean you you've been a parent now you're seeing your child the parent and you and you see really the full circle of life right in front of you and it's awesome
0: what's what's interesting about being a parent and now a grandparent is when you are a parent you you're going through the motions of your life you're Trying to put food on the table, you're you're taking care of your children, but you're you're working. You're really focused on your job and your family. Now that I'm a grandparent, Jim, I don't even focus on anything but being a grandpa. So when I'm with my grand grandkids, all we do is focus on them and we play and we jump around and we we just laugh and giggle and it's just uh, it, it's overwhelming how much love you can have for your grandkids
2: listen, that, Peter,
0: that picture you sent me, Peter, last week of you almost
2: passed out and all the grandkids around you right there. I said, that that told it all
0: right there. Well, I think there's a reason God doesn't right. let 66-year-old men have children, because uh, it can wear you out, as that picture showed you. <laughs> yep, I hear, ya. I hear well, you. Well, Jim, let me, let me get into this. Uh, first and foremost, you've been such a huge part of my life we met back in the early 80s and I was a good tour player I'd won a tournament or two but I really didn't understand the golf swing I didn't really understand my golf swing and you helped me to understand that and I would love uh, you, you've been a tour player you're you're a teacher course designer course developer writer TV analyst you've really run the full gambit but tell us a little bit about being a player how your golf swing can go haywire, especially when you're playing in a major championship, and if you don't understand your golf swing and get yourself back on track, you're you're headed for trouble.
2: That's exactly right. You know, Peter, I I have been all those other things, but I've I've still always seen whatever I'm doing through the lens of a as a player whether it's golf course architecture or ownership or television or being an instructor or helping teachers, I've seen it through the eyes of what I genuinely got into golf to be, which was a player. And so I believe that a player has to know their own capabilities at any given time. And I think one of the most important things a player has to have under the heat, he has to know a shot or two that he can hit if he's passing out with fear. I don't care whether it's Tiger hitting a low stinger or whether it's a knockdown shot or it's a pull-out, big high hook, whatever it is. But when the heat's on, you know so well as a player, when you were standing there in the Ryder Cups that you played in or anything where there's just such severe pressure, you had the chance to win the British Open coming down the last stretch. You had a chance to win the Masters. You were with Bob Tway when he pitched in. You had the chance to win the PGA. When you're underneath that kind of pressure, you have to know what you can do and what you can't do. And you you better stick with what you can do.
0: And you you helped me so much to become the player that I was. One of the things that I will never forget was when I was growing up as an amateur player and then I was early on the PGA Tour, you get all kinds of info from all different teachers. And I, some would work for me and others wouldn't work. And it wasn't until I met you and we started diving into my game that you explained to me that there's really no bad info you could take a lesson from, uh, Rick Smith or David Ledbetter or Jim McLean, and the info that they give me, it's not bad info. It's not wrong info. It just may not work for me the way that I naturally swing the golf club. And, and that to me had such a profound impact because that basically showed me that all these teachers that endeavor to be great and pass along information to their to their pupils, what they're trying to do is trying to get their student to understand how to swing the golf club that works for them because there's so many ways to swing a golf club.
2: Well, that's right. And when I when I first got on the tour, you know, I'm, I'm watching Gary Player hitting golf balls next to Jack Nicklaus and Doug Sanders over there, and there's Lee Trevino. And, uh, you know, you see all these different swings, and they're all beating the heck out of me. So I knew that trying to copy model swing shape was not what worked. What has to figure out is the geometry of the golf swing, your impact, and your impact ball flight misses. And it's those things that influence what works for you. I love what you said a while ago, and I say so often, all golf information works for somebody you just you just might not be that somebody it works for and uh, uh i think that's the secret to to being a good teacher especially for a tour player i don't believe tour players need to reconstruct their golf swing unless they've had terrible injuries. If they've had terrible injuries, they, they're they going to need some reconstruction. That was the case with you, if you remember. When when I switched you from two-plane to one-plane, it was because you were off the tour doing television. And you came to me and said, do you think I I, I want to get back playing? I said, Peter, you can't. You, you've torn up your body. And you said, would well, you think I can switch from from my swing to that Thing you do, that one-plane swing stuff. <laughs> I said, Peter, I have no idea. All we can do is
0: try. <laughs> but, just, but, just explain a little bit about a two-plane, the way I played early on in my career, and what you, you, you moved me to, which was more of a, a one-plane, as you call it, more of a rounded swing.
2: Well, I, I view golf swings, whether we're talking about Bubba or Ricky Fowler as having two motors and they are distinctly different. One motor is your body. Your other motor is your arms and club. The body doesn't swing the arms and club and the arms and club doesn't swing the body. They're two different motors. Now, when they swing, the body can turn fairly level to the ground and the arms swing more up and down than the body turns. Think Tom Watson, think Jack Nicklaus, think Justin Thomas. And I call that two planes because the two motors are running in two different planes. The body is turning fairly level to the ground. The arms are swinging very vertical. The other kind of swing is when the body turns and the arms swing around the body. Now think Ricky Fowler out there. Think Rory McIlroy. That swing I call one-plane because both motors are running more in the same plane. Now, just because you have a one-plane swing or a two-plane swing doesn't make any good. You might be the worst golfer in the world and be a one-planer or a two-planer. It just describes how your arms and body work relative to each other. Now, the thing that makes that fairly interesting is that the geometry demands to hit the ball correctly between those two different systems is almost exactly opposite. What is required to hit the ball well as a two-planer is the opposite of what's required to hit the ball good as a one-planer. Ben Hogan said he tried to hit the ball in the downswing right from the top as hard as he could with his right hand. Jack Nicklaus said he tried to pull the club down with his left arm. Nicklaus tried to slide his hips. Hogan tried to turn his hips. I mean, they're two very, very opposite ways to play golf. And if Jack Nicholas tried what Hogan said to do, he wouldn't have been Jack Nicholas, And the other way around, it'd certainly
0: be true. It's interesting. I was just a couple of weeks ago with Rick Carlisle, who's the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. I was actually at the Dallas Mavericks Denver Nuggets game the night that the season was canceled for this coronavirus scare. Or I shouldn't say not scare, this coronavirus pandemic that we're under. And Rick spent a lot of time Trying to focus on Mo Norman, who has been called the most accurate player in the game. But Mo Norman, he became accurate by pulling his left arm, whereas Ben Hogan became accurate by throwing his right hand. And again, it just goes to show you there's so many ways to swing the golf club. You just have to find out what fits for you. You can't put a Lexus motor into a chevrolet and vice versa that's why having a a pga professional or somebody that understands golf and understands your swing it's so important to get somebody's eyes on your golf swing because it's hard to figure out on your own that's exactly right exactly
2: right and one of those players the two playing players that pull with their lead arm we'll take bubba nicholas justin thomas they need to be what I call a shot maker. They need to curve the ball. Watch Bubba play golf. I mean, it's 30 and 40 and 50 yard slices off the tee, for goodness sakes. Nicholas used to say aim down one side of the fairway or the other and either hook the ball in the fairway or cut the ball into the fairway. You turn around and you get guys that play the other way, and I would say they can still curve the ball, but their natural-shaped shot, like a guy like Willie Westwood or Sergio Garcia or Henrik Stenson, they pretty much aim at their target and hit the ball at their target. I mean, there isn't a lot of curvature on it, so it not only affects what makes your swing work, but it affects, there's two different kind of players. There's ball strikers. Those are the guys that hit the ball straight, pretty much, hit it dead solid right at their target, and that would be like George Newson, who was one of my heroes. And then you've got, on the other hand, shot makers. Corey Pavin would certainly be a shot maker. Uh, Bubba Watson would be probably the greatest shot maker of all time in terms Ch- of, of putting the ball around. Chi-Chi. Chichi. Yeah, Lee Trevino. Yeah. So there's two two distinctly different ways to play golf, and I I look at people. They'll come to me and they'll say, "Well, I'm hooking the ball." I say, "Well, gee whiz!" So does Jason Day. Can you beat Can you beat Jason? You know, there's <laughs> nothing. <laughs> well, golf, it, it, my, my mentor John Jacobs used to say, golf is simply a game of prediction before the event. If you can hit a 20-yard hook, all you've got to do is aim at 20 yards to the right of your target and knock it right on the green.
0: Brandel Chambly, who you've worked with, has been critical. There was an article that came out where he was criticizing teachers, and David Ledbetter wrote a uh, an op-ed that, that kind of criticized Brandel. And I think the bottom line goes along that there really is no exact way to play the tour or to hit a golf shot. Anybody that tells you that you have to do it this way is mistaken because there's just so many different ways, so many different teachers, so many different philosophies. You just have to find one that works for you.
2: Well, that's exactly right. And I I did read what Brannel said, and I did read what David said. And I think what happened is uh, David or somebody along the line had given Brandle some very good information, but it wasn't good for Brandle, and it hurt Brandel's game. And uh, Brandle has since found some information that was opposite that, and it helped his game a lot. And so Brandle all of a sudden thought, well, everybody is teaching this, and everybody is wrong, and all teachers are wrong. And I it was just a terrible overreaction on Brandle's part. I, I I have a funny feeling Brandle wishes he could bring those words back into his mouth, but you can't. You uh, <laughs> <We laughs> never can. No. no, I've never said anything I wish I hadn't said. Have you?
0: <laughs> of course not. I think I think we all we all have. Now yeah. one of the things too that always impressed me when you were out with me. And so many other players you work with through your career. You work with, uh, work with Matt Kuchar, and early on you work with, with Little with Faxon and McCarran and Pernice. You never stayed on tour Thursday through Sunday. You always came in early in the week because you wanted to get the player to focus on the golf swing and then Thursday through Sunday focus on playing golf. And I always found that to be uh, pretty refreshing, but that's not the way it is today with these young kids and these and these new teachers out on tour. Well, I th-
2: I, I think they'll learn that it will be that way. In other words, the ones that keep doing that way probably are not going to have a long visit on the tour, and the ones that all of a sudden start realizing that that come Sunday, certainly Saturday and Sunday, it, it is all about take a deep breath and let's get this thing in the fairway on the green in the hole and uh it's fine to talk about how we're going to do it on monday tuesday and maybe even wednesday but once 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 somebody's got the feel for what i want them to do early in the week then we take that feel out on the golf course and that feel has to translate into what what i call a pre-shot routine and you'll see a lot of my students over the years make peculiar pre-shot routine swings, in particular. I remember when Olin Brown was almost winning the U.S. Open at Pinehurst. And, uh, in '05 he was making these massive out-to-end uh, down swings in his practice round, in his practice swings. And, and if you watch Cooch, he does the same thing. But all they're doing is they're rehearsing a feel before the event. And once they have that feel, they just go up and hit it. They're not worried about how to do it, what anything else. Uh, and and if you're thinking about golf swing and how to do it when you're trying to play golf, you need to get you need to get away from tournament golf and get your swing right.
0: Yeah, it's 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 golf swing on the range, and then it's golf on the golf course. I have, I have one more question, Jim, and I'm going to let you go, but. Being such a successful architect and developer of golf courses, I want to talk a little bit about this distance challenge that we have, especially with uh, the PGA Tour players and the best players in the world hitting the ball so far. What what do you think is the solution with, uh, with the ever-increasing distances, the players, the, the top players? I'm not talking about the average players, but the top players – They're starting to make a lot of these great golf courses that you and I grew up on obsolete.
2: They've made almost all of them obsolete uh, uh, that haven't had the real estate to be able to stretch a course to 7,600 yards long now. You you and I are are such a good team in golf course design, Peter, because we we, we both do it from a player's perspective. And you used to bring your mother to the table. (laughs) How many times? you stand there and you say, we're not building a hole my mom can't play? That's and right. That, we're not building a hole my mom can't play if she cops it. If she cops it straight, I want her playing this hole. But playability is such a huge factor. Now, when we get to the elite level, they've let everything go out of control. When you and I started the tour, the difference between the longest hitter on the tour and the shortest hitter on the tour might have been 28 yards. 30 had probably been pushing it. You know, today it's sixty, seventy yards. I don't know how far Cameron Champ hits it by uh, Zach Johnson, but but it could be seventy yards. You know, and and that's not right. And so I think that that I know that the R N A and the U S G A have their hands full, uh, but I think we need to take the professional game out of the hands. Of the vendors, out of the hands, and I'm going to get some grief on this, but out of the hands of the equipment makers, uh, baseball, uh, football, uh, basketball. There aren't any other sports where the equipment maker has been able to dictate the terms of how far the baseball or bat goes. Uh, in college, they use aluminum bats in the in the m Major League Baseball. They use wooden bats. I'm not saying we go back to wooden bats, but if we need to bifurcate the rules, we need to do something to. Otherwise, we're at 8,000 yards on golf courses here in a few more years. Right now, the work I do for the PGA Tour, golf course design, our standard right now is no less than 7,600 yards
0: long. Yeah, it is amazing. But let me offer you this the sports you just mentioned, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, they all play the same ball there may be there may be seven baseball games going on at the same time. They're using the same regulation golf ball uh sorry baseball what same same at the n b a games all around the country in Houston in Portland and miami. It's the same regulation basketball. Why in the world can't we allow the golf course? The, the golf ball manufacturers to continue to create their golf ball for the general public. But why can't we as a PGA tour organization dictate that you use one ball? Now it can be, it can be made by Titleist or Strixon or, or uh, the paying or whomever you want it. Uh, you, you work with, but why can't we have one regulation golf ball? That everybody on tour plays to me, that makes the most sense and the ends the easiest solution to uh, to approach.
2: I, I have not heard that before, Peter. But that is is absolute genius, brilliant. That's what should happen. You know, you mentioned that about all these sport, other sports too. Did you know they're still playing baseball in Wrigley Field? They're still playing baseball, basketball in Madison Square Garden. I mean, the, the, the basketball courts haven't changed. The football fields, they're still 100 yards long last time I looked. It's, <laughs> tennis courts right. haven't changed. They haven't allowed the sport to
0: have to change to match
2: the equipment.
0: One of the best golf courses I've played, and I've played a couple of major championships there, just outside of Philadelphia, is Marion Golf Club. And we did the US Open there a couple of years ago and I was on the broadcast team and holes that I remember hitting a full out driver to get it to the turn point the players were hitting long irons. Now yeah. that that would be like taking Wrigley Field and moving the moving defenses back 50 and 60 feet. Well, you disrupt the bleachers, you need the roads all around it to change. It's just the wrong direction we're going in. I know I agree with you the RNA and the USGA they do have their hands full with how they how they uh, manage and control the game and they do a wonderful job but this is one I think that if we don't get a if we don't get control of as a, as an organization the the European Tour the PGA Tour everybody involved to come up with one regulation golf ball the game of golf and the way it's played as we know it uh could be could be going by the wayside
2: tell hey, you why i also love your idea peter it's unbelievably brilliant It's because it's not just distance if you had just one ball the guys that need more backspin and so they use a real high spinny ball and the guys that need a higher launch angle so they use a high launch ball and the guys that you want less spin so they use a low spin ball and all this kind of stuff no if you needed to hit the ball higher launch angle, you'd have to figure out how to do it. You see, what That's you totally right. just purchased the ball. So, so it's not just distance, but your idea feeds straight into playability too, and how the guys, because right now the guys are buying a lot of their game. They really compared to what I grew up when when I came out on the tour. Lee Trevino and Nicholas and other guys had an incredible. Uh, advantage over me because they could go for pins from the middle of the fairway that I could not because Nicholas could hit it so high and bring it down next to it and Trevino could send it in there with so much spin. Me, if I went for that pin, that dangerous pin, I've got to land it eight inches over the bunker and yell stop before it runs over the back of the green into the water.
0: As you know, you've been working with me for 40 years now. I'm a (laughs) low-spin player. I'm a low-spin player, and you're always trying to get me to get the golf club on top of the ball to be able to utilize the loft on my iron. When I play with Rory, or I've played with Rory, he hits it three times as high as I I do, and he puts twice as much spin. That's why he can go at those flags in the corners, and I can't. Well, that just dictates that I have to change my technique. When you watch Shaquille O'Neal shoot a free throw, versus Michael Jordan. <laughs> they're using the same ball. They just have a different technique. So yes, you just have to work on your technique and that's anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it there, Jim. I've I've taken too much All of your right. time. We will do it again. You're the best. You've been here before you know what to do. Keep your head on straight, don't let Get rid of that. joined now by my daughter Kristen, Dr. Kristen Saylor, who's a neurologist up here in the Westchester area. Now, Kristen, your mom and I flew up here to watch your two kids because of this coronavirus, this pandemic. You are still working. Yes. And the kids are out of school. So Nana and Papa have set up daycare. Yeah,
3: it's Nana Papa School.
0: It's Nana Papa School. Although with we don't get much schooling done. It's all... Tickles and laughs and joking and things like that.
3: Well, luckily, we just have one child in school. We have a kindergartner. And, you know, teaching a kindergartner is different than teaching your 10th grader at home. So we've been a little bit on the lucky side in that regard. And, you know, we have a preschooler. And so that's that's pretty easy. They basically just learn through play anyways. So we haven't expected you to really get her <sighs> reading at home, just, just yet. But if this goes on through first grade, well, then we expect that she be taught how to read by you.
0: But but aren't aren't papas, all papas in the world the commissioners of fun? Oh, That's I, what we have to do?
3: I'm a little concerned about the amount of junk food that they've been coming home talking about. Well, no, they haven't
0: been eating much junk food because all the stores are closed. We really haven't been doing that.
3: It's, a, it's amazing. Even with all the stores being closed, somehow... You find those M&Ms.
0: Well, we do have a pretty good stockpile of M&Ms, I must say.
3: <laughs> well, that's your candy habit. That's, that's the Peter Jacobson candy, secret candy habit.
0: Yeah, shh, don't please don't tell anybody. Let's talk a little bit about this pandemic and you being a healthcare worker, healthcare mm-hmm. provider. You're on the front lines here. You're being a neurologist. You're now more of a headache specialist. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing?
3: Yeah, so I, you know, I myself am not doing the real frontline work. You know, the real frontline work is being done mostly by our ICU providers in the hospitals, our nurses, our emergency room staff, and the primary care doctors that, you know, may or may not be seeing sick patients. So I myself am a little shielded from that, but I am still working. I am still providing care to my neurology patients that, need care provided they can't wait you know until this all blows over to to get the care they need so i am still going into the office what's been really amazing to watch has been the teamwork at my group we have set up a covid testing drive-through center at one of our locations i work for a group called scarsdale medical group and so we have a drive-through testing center there for our patients and the teamwork and the extra hours and everything that's been put in by everyone at our group has been really amazing to watch. I've been helping in my extra time to get a telemedicine program set up. Since I'm a neurologist, I can't really be listening to lungs and helping with pneumonias, but I can do things on on the other side. So I've been helping set up virtual visits so that our doctors can still see patients. Let's say you are COVID positive You're out of the hospital, but you need someone to check in and you need doctor visits, but you're quarantined. You can't leave. I'm helping set up a program where you can see your doctor through your phone or through your computer. So we're all just chipping in. But it is, you know, being in Westchester, which is just north of New York City. It is unprecedented what we're living through right now as healthcare providers. It's something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life.
0: Being the epicenter right now at least that's what everybody is telling us there are yeah. more cases in New York than anywhere in the country mm-hmm. or probably anywhere in the world right now I think well, we the just... us
3: has surpassed other countries um, but we are a hot spot here in New York yeah
0: what why is that I know you're not an expert on this and I'm not saying you are but just for uh, your opinion why has this thing just? exploded the way it has.
3: I think because, you know, New Yorkers are so friendly. We're always high-fiving and shaking hands on the street. <laughs> you know, New Yorkers love to, of, of love course to they say are. hello to each other and <laughs> high-five, you know. Um, it, it just comes down to density. It comes down, comes down to density. If you're living in a rural area in America and you've got three acres of your own land, you're going to see your neighbors, you're going to see people at the shops in town, but you're going to maybe cross paths with 10 to 20 people a day on average If you live in New York City, if you live in Manhattan or Queens or Brooklyn or Staten Island or the Bronx, you're crossing paths with thousands of people every day. On the
0: subway, walking down the streets, in the stores.
3: Yep. Everything you touch. You open that, you know, store handle to go in to get your Starbucks. That handle has probably been touched by thousands of people that same day. If you're in a small town and you're opening up the general store handle, it's going to be know, 100, 200 people. So it's just a density a density issue. And we're going to start seeing this. You know, you're going to see it start up in other cities. And I just hope that other cities pay attention to what's happening in New York and take it seriously from the beginning so that they're not in the situation that we are now in New York.
0: What's interesting for me being an Oregonian, and you were raised in Portland, Oregon, went to college here at uh, NYU, and then d- went to medical school here. Whenever we come visit you or have come to visit you, I, f- I, was, I was initially afraid <laughs> of New York City. Of I didn't want you to go to school here. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. I was terrified. But when I came back and I started riding the subway and walking downtown, I find New York City to be incredibly safe, safe, mm-hmm. And so much fun. Whether you go to the theater or you go shopping, I find it to be uh, invigorating.
3: Definitely, I've always loved New York. I mean, I I can remember you and you and Mom had us here for I think it was the Jake Trout and the flounders second cd release party (laughs) that's right so this is back in the what 1995 maybe yeah
0: a little later than that yeah 96 so i
3: was i was 14 years old and you had us all out in new york city for this release party and i remember deciding on that trip that i was going to live in new york city It, it just sealed the deal for me i think invigorating is a great word for it i thought that the pace of life there was a little more my speed than than portland oregon although i love portland Um, I just felt like I fit in in New York, and that was when I decided I wanted to go to college in New York. I wanted to go to NYU. I did that, and I haven't left since.
0: Well, you always told us when you were probably eight or nine or ten, you said, "I I want to be a neurologist. I want to be a doctor, and that's amazing that you talked about that back then, and here you are now. I do remember a great story. You were going to NYU. I flew into town to spend a couple of days with you, and we went to your favorite spot called Cozy Soup and Burger.
3: This is a good plug because Cozy Soup and Burger is still there. I believe it's on Broadway, but yep, everyone check out Cozy Soup and Burger.
0: So Kristen and I were out to dinner at Cozy Soup and Burger, and I said, okay, honey. It was like eight o'clock at night, and I said... I need to get you back to the dorm in these big, wild streets of New York City. And you stepped off the curb and called for a cab. Mm -hmm. Cab pulled up, and you leaned into the cab driver and said, take my father to X X hotel and go straight there. And I said, Kristen, what are you doing? I I need to get you a cab. And she goes, (laughs) Dad. I've been living here for two or three years. I know how to handle this. I'm worried about you <laughs> yeah. getting home. So I felt like that was kind of a fun little turnaround. Well, I,
3: again, you know, you're you're too friendly for these mean streets of New York, <laughs> you know. You'd wander and find someone who was a, you know, a livery driver, maybe wasn't wasn't a real cab driver, and just jump in the car with them, and they'd take you out who knows where. So you you'd be too busy making friends to realize before something was going wrong. So I had to make sure you were safe.
0: Where do you think we're going in the short term and the long term with this coronavirus?
3: The short term is stay home. Just stay home. Limit the amount of people you interact with. Wash your hands a lot. Binge a couple of Netflix shows. Stay home as much as you can. If you're living in New York City or New Orleans listening to this, you already know this because you're seeing it every day and you're living it. But you might be in a town where it doesn't really seem like a big deal and seems like this is a big city problem and it's not really a you problem, it will be a you problem. That's going to be the long term for you. So if you can just stay put for the short term, you're going to do yourself a lot of good. For the long term, that's the big unknown. It really the long term depends on what people do in the short term. If we all listen to the recommendations to stay home, distance yourself, wash your hands, I think that we will get through this a lot faster. If we don't listen to those rules, this is gonna be a longer process. It's gonna cause more economic damage, it's gonna cause the healthcare system to be overwhelmed, and we're going to have a lot more problems.
0: Hopefully we're gonna figure out a vaccine for this thing and this will be something that we are aware of, but we can put in a rearview mirror because Hopefully. there's a vaccination yeah. for this.
3: Hopefully, I mean we don't we don't have any vaccinations for coronaviruses. So this is a new type of vaccine. We you know, if this was an influenza virus, we could have that vaccine out real fast. You know, that's something that we're experts at. But creating a coronavirus vaccine is a different task, you know, although they are working on it. There's also a program right now happening at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City where they are taking blood from people who have recovered from coronavirus. They are finding the antibodies in that plasma and they are infusing it into our most critically ill patients. And this is a brand new protocol We're sort of, and I'm not part of this protocol, this is being done in Mount Sinai, but, you know, the the medical community is sort of grasping at all straws trying to save these people. It's not like a regular flu. It's not like a regular cold. It is something much, much worse. So it's something to be taken seriously.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?